As I said, gang, I have a great show for you guys today. A great show. Legendary musician turned uh, radio DJ, host, radio host. Mojo Nixon is my guest on the show today. There's a brand new uh, documentary about him that is fantastic, and it's available for rent on Amazon, on Apple TV, on iTunes, wherever it is that you can rent and stream, rent movies or whatever. This is available. It's called The Mojo Manifesto, The Life and Times of Mojo Nixon. It was directed by Matt Eske, who is the bass player uh, in Mojo Nixon, the Toad Lickers. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we have a lot of talks. So anyway... Uh, this documentary is great. It won a couple of awards, I think, at South by Southwest and at some other film festivals. People are checking it out. I bought it on on uh, on Amazon, and I've watched it like three times. It's amazing. It's great. Uh, even if you don't really know much about Mojo, he is such an explosive character. You know what I mean? That's the thing about Mojo is like it, it's interesting talking to the guy and seeing him humanized in a way because if you grew up knowing like Mojo Nixon and Skid Roper in the 80s, like if you're around my age or maybe a little bit older, there was a whole movement of like this psychobilly, uh, cow punk with Jason and the Scorchers, Dash Rip Rock, the Beat Farmers, Mojo Nixon and Skid Roper, although they were a two-man group. But Mojo always had like these outlandish songs like Stuff in Martha's Muffin, Jesus at McDonald's, Elvis is everywhere, Debbie Gibson is pregnant with my two-headed love child, I hate banks, destroy all lawyers, burn down the malls, bring me the head of David Geffen, tie my pecker to my leg, Don Henley must die, and so many other classics. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. He, But, you know, a guy like that with such an explosive personality that's always like uh, doing those extemporaneous mojo pontifications, I think that's how he describes it in the... Uh, in the uh, in the documentary, Mojo, the Mojo Manifesto. I'm not joking. Get out there and see it. Anyway, he had an incredible like run as a musician, and he toured, and he lived really hard. His whole message was like, I'm drunk, loud, and stupid. And he got crazy. His energy at his shows is just completely fucking insane. If you've ever seen him, you know what I'm talking about. I once got to open for him in the 90s, and, um, and I remember the show. I think it was with the Toad Liquors. It was insane. His energy was insane. In fact, I was a little intimidated by him, and I didn't really talk to him, I don't think, at the show or when I saw him at kind of parties around town when he was hanging out here in the 90s because I, his energy was so intense, I was intimidated by it. If you uh, were watching MTV in the late 80s, uh, Mojo Nixon and Skid Roper were, were on 120 Minutes a lot. And, uh, and then there were these kind of like commercials on MTV where they'd have people talk like they had Randy of the Redwoods and they had uh, Dennis Leary and he would just walk around ranting. These people would walk, uh, Randy of the Redwoods would be like all high, just kind of talking about being high. And then, uh, of course, Dennis Leary would have these intense smoking ones and Mojo would be on there having his crazy sort of like uh, stream of consciousness. Uh, uh, yeah, very Hunter S. Thompson kind of like pro-psychedelics, pro-drugs, legalize it, let's get crazy, overthrow the government, insanity. <laughs> anyway, Mojo Now is a, uh, is a radio personality on Sirius XM. He is the loon in the afternoon weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Outlaw Radio. And uh, he also has the show Manifold Destiny Monday nights at 10 p.m. on NASCAR Radio. So he's been out there doing this stuff for over 20 years now, I think he's been on the radio. But I think he's been doing Sirius XM for 20 years and he's been off the road for 20 years. He retired from doing, he does occasional shows on like Outlaw Cruises. I know he does the uh, Mojo's Mayhem show at the, at the Continental Club here during South by Southwest. But anyway, mostly out of the game of writing songs and playing songs and touring. Uh, and, and 
one of the big questions I had was like, how would a Mojo Nixon like come out now being so controversial? Like, how would you release a song now called Stuff and Martha's Muffin without really the world coming down on you? You know what I mean? We'll, we'll, we talk a little bit about that. We talk about all kinds of stuff. Mojo, Mojo is, is unique unto himself. He's, he's a vibration. He's an energy. He's a frequency. And he's also a human being and a really nice guy. So without further ado, this is me and Mojo Nixon. He was in Cincinnati. We're chatting over Zoom, uh, chatting it up. This legend, me and Mojo Nixon. Let's get down. This is the sound of my brain. Then I said, this is the sound of my brain on Don Henley. Then I said, one, two, three, four. Hey, Johnny, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. Are you getting a good uh, signal here on the audio? I'm getting a fantastic signal as I figured I would from you. Yes, I'm a semi-radio professional. Yes, you are, man. You've been doing that for a long time now. I have. You know, we ever met? I was trying to remember. Do we hang out? Do we have a mutual friend? We have a lot of mutual friends. That is for sure. I once opened for you. And uh, I, I, I know that we were at things that like, you know, something like something, uh, a Steve and Gabby thing, maybe. And you were there, you know, right, right, right. A social event. How, um, but you, yeah, you, you feel free to talk about anything. OK, good, good. Uh, I, I do want to start off with saying that the Mojo Manifesto, the life and times of Mojo Nixon is fucking great. <laughs> it is really great, man. Uh, uh, it is unbelievable that my bass player made a movie about me and it doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he made a fucking great movie. Like it is like as a movie, had I not known who you were or anything and just watch it. Like sometimes right. I watch documentaries like that. I, I, I would watch it again. I bought it actually. You know, here's the thing. If you saw me in 1995 and you said they're making a documentary about Mojo, you'd assume the documentary would be like me, all all fucked up. Just a mess. Just a giant, drunken, high, fat mess. And then, <laughs> then you found out that the bass player, who's never made a movie in his life, made it. It's going to be even worse. So the, the bar is way down low. But no, he made a really good movie. It worked right. Like you say, if you don't know me from a hole in the ground, the movie's still good. And, uh, you know, my only complaint, it kind of makes me look like a do-gooder. You know, I, I would just like to say there's a whole nother movie he could have made, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but I don't come out that good. I'm right. just, you know, every, life has a duality. You're seeing the good mojo. Right, right. You know, and when you know, it was 12 years ago, he showed up at my house in California with a camera in a box and said, we're going to make a movie. I go, huh? What? It, it, it literally pulls out, he pulls out the instructions. How does this thing work? <laughs> well, it took, it took a while to make. So I guess he figured it out. It took a while to figure well, it out. Well, it did. Too. And so, you know, and luckily I had tons of footage. When we started touring in the, uh, you know, in the mid 80s, 
That's right when cable access TV uh-huh. started. So there was just, and I had boxes, big boxes, like moving boxes full of VHS tapes of me and me and Skid, uh, you know, either performing live or doing interviews or some cockamamie scheme thing. Uh, you know, I had, I had literally had hundreds of them. And uh, so I gave them all to him. And he got it all digitized and, you know, and learned out, figured out how to work it. But then it sat dormant for like three years. He wouldn't edit it. I tried to hire a friend, Robert Gordon, Robert Gordon from Memphis, uh, you know, the writer, filmmaker. I said, maybe Robert could edit it. He wouldn't let him do it. Finally, and I'm not making this up, Earl Freedom, Matt Eskey, my bass player, typed into Google, how do you edit a movie? (laughs) <laughs> and there's some there's some Adobe you know, there's some Adobe Fake program that everybody uses. You know, you can buy it's expensive because I don't know, like let's say it costs five hundred bucks. He bought it, and then I told him because I, uh, you know, I work at uh, Sirius XM on the Outlaw Country, and they have cruises. And I was going to bring the band on the cruise, and I told him you can't go on the cruise till you bring me a twenty minute reel. Well, he finally got going. He had a forty minute reel, and it was really good. Yeah. So, you know, once he got going, it, you know, it, and then, so the, the movie was done, I don't know, like four years ago, uh, but right when COVID hit, because it was supposed to be, we supposed to have a big thing at the big theater down on, you know, on Congress and in, uh, in South by Southwest, it's going to be a big to do. And literally it got canceled. Yeah. So that kind of delayed everything another two years, but uh, it's out now. You can uh, you can rent it at Amazon or Apple iTunes, and eventually, you know, maybe in another six months or so, hopefully you'll be able to watch it for free either at Amazon Prime or Netflix, and and that's when the, there'll be a little uptick, you know. In hey, we should have Mojo play, and that's when I die in Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa, on a Tuesday night under very uh, very Chris Farley like circumstances. <laughs> It's funny, man, because it's funny that you bring him up because there is this sort of like almost like there's also like a there's like a, a, a this energy that you have. Like to me, you've always been an energy. You know what I mean? Like from when I saw you on MTV, like like on 120 minutes, you and Skid Roper. And then when you did those weird things like Dennis Leary did where you. Right. I did the MTV promos. Yes. Uh, whoring myself out to the man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I did get I did get paid. No, I, you know I uh, I'm not that talented, but I am I'm wildly enthusiastic. Yeah. You know, so I'm not a great singer. I'm not a great songwriter. I'm I'm a little bit funny, but what? But I'm also, you know, I I, I always viewed it kind of like wrestling. Like I was, I, you know, if I if I wasn't a wrestler, I was like the I was the Jimmy Hart. I was the wrestling manager, the mouth of the South, <laughs> talking shit on the side. You yeah, know, yeah, that, yeah. right? And that's really what my talent is, talking shit. Uh, you know, I remember for for a while there, Wet Dog, P. Wet Dog Gordon, the piano player, wasn't in the band, and I was worried that people were going to realize I couldn't play guitar that well. They didn't give a shit about that. They came for the monkey show. Yeah. They came to hear Mojo's <laughs> talk shit about things, you know? <laughs> well, there there are all kinds of like parts of that video in the documentary. There's, there's video of you playing live where you're just banging on like an empty water bottle and, you know, chanting about mushrooms. Yes, that was a song. It's on the first album, yeah. Mushroom Maniac. It's about Country Dick Montana, the drummer in the Beat Farmers, who was high all the time. Oh, in fact, we did, we did one of the cruises and, uh, they wanted to have a drink, uh, and we did a pleasure marriage reunion and they wanted to have a country dick drink and I said, Oh, well, country dick, 
Country Dick's favorite thing was to have, you know, a uh, Captain's and Coke with a side of mushrooms and crank. That was, you know, <laughs> that, that was his go-to. <laughs> Dude, that pleasure, Barons, but that's, that is awesome. Like the idea of that too is awesome. Yeah, that was all Country Dick's idea. He, you know, he, he wanted to get out of the cowpunk thing and do essentially Tom Jones style showbiz. Yeah, and you know, and he got me. And he got you know, we got Dave Alvin as the straight man, and then later we had I don't know if you, the second Pleasure Bears had John Doe and Rosie Flores and Katie Moffat. John Doe had this mustache like a French pimp, kind of like those ones uh, that uh, Bob Dylan has every now and then. Right, he, right. He looked. He, he went from John Doe from handsome man to sleazy man in two seconds. <laughs> he, I've, I've had him on the show. He lives here now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he lives down there. Did you, He's a great guy. Yeah, he really is. Uh, did, did you did you live here in the 90s or in the... In no, the- I never actually lived in Austin. Uh, I, uh, I got hooked on, you know, I was trying to remember. First time I played... Might have been '86 at the Continental Club. Okay. Before Steve bought it, when uh, Mark and Jeanette, I think, yeah, yeah, owned yeah. it. Yeah. And then, uh, then they later ran Liberty Lunch, where we did a bunch of stuff. But yeah, we played. I think we played on a Sunday night, maybe in '86. There was eight people there, and uh, nine of them were in a band. You know, <laughs> each each band sent somebody that hey, go see what that guy's doing. And, uh, you know, we slept on somebody's floor. But uh, I hooked up with the Neptunes, okay. uh, who became the Toad Lickers. That was in 1990. Okay. And and uh, we were here. I was in Austin a lot. We made records there. I made that record with Jello Biafra there. I made the last real album I made, Sacre Blue, down there. Oh, the, the Prairie Home uh, Invasion you made that here? Yeah, we made down there in Arlen with uh, Stuart Sullivan. Oh, yeah, I love Stuart. And, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, man, but that, you know... Uh, it was just kind of cockamamie idea. Mojo and, and Jello go to Austin, make a hillbilly record. <laughs> uh, part of it, uh, part of the frustration was, uh, you know, Jello doesn't play an instrument. So he would just kind of sing me the songs, and I would try to figure them out. Now I'm not Paul. I'm, I'm not very good at that. So that was just like a giant headache. And then when I did figure them out, I'm like, these aren't the right chords. You know, these aren't the, you know, these are the jello chords. These aren't the Hank Williams, Chuck Berry chords Mojo's used to. Right. Playing that record, you know, just remember, I mean, we played a gig at Liberty Lunch with Jello. We played about half the record and I had the biggest headache I've ever had in my life. Uh, afterwards, I was, um, I, my head hurt so bad. I couldn't get high. That's how bad my head hurts. <laughs> but yeah, we made that album there, and we made uh, we made Sacre Blue there, and we made you know we uh, we did a bunch of stuff in Austin, and the guys in the band lived there, and then so between I don't know ninety and ninety six or ninety seven, I was there a lot, right? And and in some of those years, we did like a the mo- the hollering hell raising humidity hoedown. And we would play every Thursday in August. This is in August, you know. We'll make sure it's as hot as humanly possible. In August, we play every Thursday in in Houston. Oh Jesus! Every Friday in Dallas, and every Saturday in Austin. Mm. We'd play like you know for four weekends, and then we were supposed to be working on new songs or making demos during the week, but we were just you know fucking around and getting high. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that happens here. So I guess. Some- yeah, yeah. Sometimes people get lost here. <laughs> yes, you go to, he went down that hole and never saw him again. 
Well, that's that would have been around the time that I opened for you. It was probably like 95, 96 or something. Where was that at? I think it was at Steamboat in Austin. Yeah, yeah. No, we used to play down there. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, my, my one memory of Steamboat is Ricky Boussard kicking somebody's ass. And I don't <laughs> even know why. But that, that guy made Ricky mad. He went fucking berserk. <laughs> that was, I, I bet, man. That guy, that's yeah, a that tough... was, you know, back, back when, when Ricky was, uh, still, uh, partaking of all the substances. Yeah. Yeah. Are you like, there's, there's such a legend of you partying so hard and all that shit, but like you watch all that video stuff and I, I saw you a couple of times and uh, were you fucked up while you were playing too? No, nah, you know, I usually, I would have a couple of drinks right. uh, beforehand. Uh, you know, I played our show sober. Woo, man. It's bad. Yeah, first <laughs> off, uh, we can't sing, you know, right. <laughs> 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 The Beatles can sing. We can't sing. And, uh, you know, but yeah, we, I had to put a rule in no blow before the show. Uh, uh, you know, I would That's do that afterwards. Yeah. Right, but, you know, and, cause you know, it wanted to affect your voice too. I would get so high. I'd forget to talk. You know, that's why people were there. <laughs> um, the, uh, but the, the only problem with no blow before the show is that's okay. So the show's over at say midnight, you do a bunch of blow at 6 a.m. You make some really bad decisions. See, bad. At 6 a.m. You should go to sleep. You should go to sleep and give, give the drugs to the drummer and he won't do them. Right. But right. no, that, that doesn't happen. does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, you end up riding in a car to some part of town with somebody you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yes. Yeah, we, yes. And, 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 and you're going to be killed. You know, but you don't care. You've had enough. It's, you know, you had a good run. Everything went good. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I mean, you get that feeling when you're watching those, those performances that there's, there's no way someone's like totally out of their fucking mind wasted doing that. Cause it's, it's just, there's a lot to do on your, on your, well, and, 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 you know, and, so I think Country Dick was fucked up. Uh, Country Dick was good at uh, making everything appear to be more, more than it was. So Country Dick would do like a really hard thing, but make it look impossible. Yeah. And so, but I think he was actually, you know, he was, you know, Country Dick, part of it, the legend of Country Dick ate him up, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I seen that with, you know, uh, with the same thing with Shane McGowan, the legend. Right. right. Shane, Shane couldn't live up to the thing, you know. Right. It, you know, luckily I stopped, you know, I, I knew, you know, whatever it was at some point I should stop touring and stop making records. And, you know, I, otherwise I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself, you know, and, and not in a good way, you know, in a bad, you know, in a pitiful, stupid way. Right. You know, right. I, I'm not against killing myself. I'm just don't want it to be stupid. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I understand it. I, I was good. That was one of my questions that I was going to ask is what like was was touring like a hey, I can't I, you can't be like 65 well, and and living the Mojo Nixon 1986 life. Right. That problem is I only know one way to do it. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, right. Fast. Right. Fast, drunk, high, yeah. obnoxious, crazy. Right, but I also realized nobody's interested. You know, nobody's interested in this nice, safe exercising. He's got on contacts, and he dyed his hair, and he's been you know going to the gym, Mojo. Right, right. right. So that that that's not Mojo. <laughs> right. I know Mojo. I invented the motherfucker. Right, right, right. So on the last cruise, we didn't play. 
we do we, we did play on the last cruise we play at midnight so no like old no old lady walks in by accident and here's time i pegged to my leg right so we play <laughs> we play at midnight and this guy goes man i got there like at 12 50 dude we was 42 minutes and we were done. We played 10 songs in 42 minutes, you know, at 90 miles an hour. Right. We ended with Elvis's everywhere and maybe Encore would burn down the malls, you know, and we're playing them at full speed. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, and I'm like, uh, you know, I had something on my heart. I got it fixed. I had this AFib thing. They fixed it, but I still felt like I was running a 10 K I'd never prepared for. Right, you know, right. I was just, you know, completely, you know, out of breath and, and psych, but that's the only way, right? Because I'm a little afraid if this movie does well, we may have to play like three nights in a row. And, uh, that, you know, that, hey, you know, I'll die happy. <laughs> I'll die. I'll die. I'll be ranting about King Charles of England. We'll play God Save the King. And, uh, and, uh, and boom, you know, oh, boom, there goes Mojo. He's over. Because I don't want to be, right? I don't, you know, I don't want to live to be ninety and be sick and tubes and all that stuff. I want to go, 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 go. Oh, it's over. Bye. You see you later. Yeah, that's the dream. My my grandmother's yeah. my grandmother's going to turn a hundred next week. That's a oh, lot, shit. man. Yeah, at that point, she there are there've been a couple of nights where she's like, "This has got to this got this has got to end it sometime." Right. <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. No, my mother. My mother passed away at Christmas time. She was 90 years old. And I think, you know, had, you know, if society was different, she could have made the decision at 88 when things started going bad and say, I'm checking out. Right. right. You know, right. I know what's coming. I know what's coming and yeah. I don't want y'all wiping my ass, you know? Yeah. And, but you know, society is not right. We, you know, we're, we're not set up. We're in this denial of death. We act like people aren't going to die. Everybody's going to die. And especially if you're 80, 90 or a hundred, people should be able to check out the way they want to. Right. And they're right. Suicide shouldn't be suicide. You know, should be a tragedy when you're 18 or 22 or even 32, but it's not a tragedy when you're 90. It's the, you know, it's self determination of your own exit. And I, um, you know, and, and there's all this, you know, we're going to, we're going to you know, do this and do that and keep you alive. Uh, Half of your total cost of healthcare is usually spent in the last five years of somebody's life. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, there was one thing that, that really stood out to me when I was watching uh, that documentary and just kind of like going back and thinking about uh, your songs, your song titles, the content of the songs. And if Mojo Nixon were to start now it wouldn't like do you think society would be able to handle mojo nixon in this sort of like fragile well you mean right uh people would be mad because i said don henley must die or i got debbie gibson pregnant or or uh yeah music television should be covered in jism now uh one of the reasons I've succeeded on uh, uh, on Sirius XM is I'm not on Twitter. And the reason I'm not on Twitter <laughs> is I would go too far too fast and I'd be fired. Right. right. I would have said something about, you know, uh, Prince Charles, you know, right. uh, be, being an inbred idiot. Um, but yeah, no, but I, I also, you know, working at Sirius XM on uh, Outlaw Country, I get tons of records. 
you know, and I listen to them. And just most of them don't, there's no, I, I don't expect everybody to be Bob Dylan, but most of them, the titles, you know, you can, you can tell the whole song by the title, right. you know, it, it, it's literally happy Sunday or, you know, uh, you know, sad because you left and right. There's no wordplay. There's no, there's no humorous titles. There's no, you know, titles that make you think about something. Uh, lyrics, lyric writing is gone way down. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, and, you know, and I don't expect everybody to be like me, but I, I do, I do expect them to, you know, to, uh, cause it's, you know, it's what it's a, is it 30% of the song? I don't know what one, one third lyrics, one third melody, one third beat. I don't know, but it's, it's an important part of the song. If you're just saying boring things and always, everybody always says, uh, this is why, but this is to me, Bob Dylan is the greatest artist of the last century. Greater than Chuck Berry, greater than uh, you know, than Gershwin, greater than Willie Nelson. That uh, Bob Dylan is the greatest artist of the last century because he's way ahead. You know, he's way ahead of everybody else when it comes to words. Yeah. You know, he's yeah, but uh, yes, I don't know. I would I would find a way. You know, the question you're asking would I be able to write? You know, the songs I write now. You know, I wrote them. I would find, I would try to find a way though. I would probably be censored and, you know, you know, but I was censored then. I, uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned McDonald's is putting something in your food to make us weak, sterile and subservient. <laughs> and they maybe take it out. And the song about country Dick, I mentioned Mike curb. They made me change it to Mike perv, okay. uh, you know, in the song, uh, the song chicken drop on the, well, what's that? The third album, you know, uh, chicken drop, is where the where you know the chicken shit chicken shit bingo, yeah. But they wouldn't let me say shit, right? So I had to say the word that rhymes with fit, you know. Yeah. So, but yes, uh, they, people are you know touchy, right? My my talent lies in going too far, yeah, too yeah, fast, yeah, yeah. Right. So right. So my talent lies <laughs> in you know rubbing their nose in their hypocrisy and bullshit. Yeah. And so. Yes, I, I'm sure I would be in trouble. That's the thing is like there's a there's a Bill a Bill Hicksness to you. Well, you know, I stole I stole a lot from both Bill Hicks uh, and Richard Pryor. In fact, uh, I was in the I was in the van with the guys in the band, and I played like Richard Pryor's greatest hits. And the drummer goes, "Man, that's half your act." <laughs> and I go, <laughs> I go, wait till you hear Bill Hicks. That's the other half. <laughs> No, I love Bill Hicks. I love George Carlin. I love Richard Pryor. I love pointing out the uh, the absurdity and the bullshit of existence. And I hate the hypocrisy where people say, you know, I was just watching something on TV. Uh, you know, we can't legalize marijuana in Ohio. I'm up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And you can't, you know, but alcohol is legal. It's outright. Alcohol kills more people, fucks up more lives, you know, than yeah. cigarettes and all drugs put together. Yeah. Right. You can't write the, you, you, you can, you, if you want to, if you, if you want to make, yeah. you know what I think? I think Mojo needs to go behind the counter. I think we need is at the pharmacy. Why does that guy get to go? I'll get a fucking white coat. I'll get a white coat. Let Mojo behind the counter get whatever. I'm an adult. I should be able to get whatever medicine I want. I think all drugs should be legal tomorrow. Keep making drugs illegal. Hasn't kept drug addicts from doing them. They're doing them right now. Yeah. 
So, you know, yeah, and right. So if you make drugs uh, legal, there'll be no more, you know, no more shooting each other because you're uh, importing contraband. It'll just be business. And look, we're, we're going to, there's going to be people fucked up. There's always going to be people fucked up. You know, there's people fucked up right now with drugs being illegal. Anyway, I think all drugs should be legal tomorrow, including the ones in the pharmacy. Yeah. Well, there you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> Here's another person we have in common, and I have a lot of questions. I'd like to, I'd like to learn more about this man that I kind of knew. But uh, Ron Gowdy. I didn't. Yes, uh, I didn't know if y'all were related or somehow. Or no, but, Ron was originally from Canada, right? And uh, and uh, he, um, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how we hooked up with Ron. Ron Gowdy's originally from Canada. He produced uh, my records. He's once signed me to Enigma, right? The um, I was opening for Texan the Horseheads, and uh, and they had like their manager there, and he was a buddy of Ron's, and I gave him a cassette tape of some demos I'd made at Joey Harris's house on a four track cassette. And he was, he was going to, he was, that guy was going to move to New York and do metal records. So he gave the tape to Ron and Ron calls me up and says, Hey, let's put it out. And I go, no, 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 that's just demo. He goes, no, no, no. Take it in the studio, mix it, put a little reverb on it. We're ready to go. (laughs) And Ron, he was kind of crazy. Ron, you know, uh, was one of these, you know, uh, I don't, let's just say Ron took advantage of the situation in the music business. Uh, you know, he would, uh, he would have a lot of cockamamie schemes going. And so he'd get a little money everywhere. And one, and one of them apparently was me. And he, not only did Ron Gowdy sign me, but he also signed the dead milkman, another, another similar act. And he also signed poison and striper. And so he was really good, you know, at, uh, at finding bands and he produced our album frenzy and, uh, you know, the EP get out of the way, get out of my way. And also, uh, you know, bodacious with Elvis is everywhere on, which has about, you know, so Ron was a, uh, producer who worked at Sirius. I mean, not Sirius, but at Enigma. Enigma yeah. And he was a great guy, you know, fantastic he, guy. Yeah. And, and he had a really good ear. You know, and that's something nobody, right. you know, people now have a lot of numbers. <laughs> you know, I got, a, I got a lot of numbers. This has got a lot of, but people don't have a good ear. It's really hard to find somebody who can say, that's that's a good song. That's a bad song. Get that get that shitty song out of here. Right, right. Um, yeah, but Ron, but yeah, Ron, so you you don't know if y'all are related no, or no, not? No, no, no. Uh, I mean, somewhere distantly we are uh, from Scotland. But uh, he was always well. The first thing about it, he 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 had a label here for a little while called Sector Two, right? We, yeah, we did a record on it, right? You did? We did, yeah, we did a, a compilation record, Gadz uh, Gadzooks, which yeah. had right, which had a bunch of extra stuff and like re-recording of like four new songs on it. Yeah, okay. The the Poontango part, Poontango part, Tango, and on Gadzooks. <laughs> so uh he was gonna sign my band mr rocket baby and uh, it just wasn't we wanted a lot of money that's what we were looking for in a record deal if not we would just do our shit ourselves yeah ron didn't have a lot of money no, let no, me no. just tell you right now but yeah. but he he was a, he was a good guy but um he, i remember he was he was very excited that we had the same last name and he was he wanted to share in like scottish heritage stuff with me 
And my, my family moved from Scotland to Cuba, like in the late 1800s. So there's not like a lot of Scottish stuff. It's all like Cuban stuff. And I just remember him just always being so disappointed in that. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. Cause you know, my last name is McMillan and right. the, the McMillans are from Scotland. Right. The, the, the McMillans left Scotland and went to North Carolina, you know, where they still are, you know, down there where my father is from parked in North Carolina, the McNeils, the McNairs, the Bethunes, and the McMillans have been intermarrying and fucking each other for hundreds <laughs> of years. <laughs> right, because they didn't like people from two counties. They didn't like people from the next county. Right. right. It, wasn't that, oh, it wasn't that you're from out of state. Yeah. It's, no, no, you're you're from two counties over. Yeah. That, might, that might as well be Japan. The, you know, hillbillies in rural North Carolina. Yeah, you know. Uh, Ron, Ron Gowdy, uh, you know, hel- helped us make in Ron, Ron was always, he was a little bit shady. You know, he was always in his dealings, you know, with studios. Uh, it, 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 what he was doing was skimming. He was, you know, so let's say the budget was 10,000. He was keep somehow keeping an extra 2000 for himself. I didn't care. I just wanted the record to come out and sound good. He, but, you know, but there was always, a, you know, somebody was about to show up. <laughs> hey, you guys got to leave. I thought I'd done thing. What the fuck's going on here? Yeah, that we're, we recorded uh, Bodacious, most of it at this George Tobin studio in, on Lancashire in North Hollywood, near where the Palomino was. And this George Tobin guy had this protege uh, girl, Tiffany. And Tiffany used to sit on the couch while we're recording, you know, uh, tie my pecker to my leg or some song where she'd sit there doing her algebra homework. You know, she hadn't, she, she hadn't busted loose yet. <laughs> oh man. That's uh, he, when did he pass away, Ron? Passed away a couple three years ago. You know, he was okay. over in Amsterdam. Right, he was yeah, over yeah. in Amsterdam. And I don't know. If you know, uh, and and me and Ron had a falling out at some point, but then at some point I, you know, I I, I got over it, and uh, yeah, we had a falling out. But then I don't know if he went over there because he had to, or he just All had right. you know he was looking for new victims. Right. I don't know if it was a legal situation over here, kind of like that Joe King Carrasco. You know, he lives down in Mexico. Yeah. Claims he doesn't have to. <laughs> you know, <laughs> claims yes. <laughs> You know, man, uh, it's funny that you that you brought up that stuff about that the the documentary making you look nice, and there is something about somebody that has like a, an acid tongue and says whatever comes to mind. Somebody like Don Rickles or something; those people wouldn't be tolerated if they didn't if they weren't actually coming from a good place. And I think that that's what that movie focuses on is like here's this fucking lunatic that you've been seeing for years, screaming and yelling and ranting and raving. That's a good guy. Yeah. You know, somebody said, you know, uh, I don't know if it was my wife or maybe bullet. And my manager said, you know, you're actually a nice guy. You yeah. just think you aren't. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I want to think I'm a bad, I'm a bad motherfucker. I'm a bad man. You can't stop me. Right. <laughs> but, uh, right. But I always, you know, I firmly believe, you know, uh, and, and I would tell the guys, you know, uh, in the band, this give people a chance to be nice. There's assholes out there, and they're gonna, yeah. you know, they're gonna show you. Yeah. But give me right, the sound man to do everybody, you know, be nice on the way up, so they'll be nice on the way down, and give people a chance to be nice. 
and, not, and nine out of ten times, you know, you'll be rewarded. Yeah. Uh, now, if they are assholes, then you can, you know, then you can, you know, give them, you know, beat the shit out of them or, you know, whatever it is you need to do. Yeah. And there's plenty of it. But don't assume people are assholes. Yeah. You know, we had, we had a bunch of rules. Uh, rule number one was uh, do your best. Rule number two was be on time. That uh, usually shocks people. You know, we would show up. We'll be there at 630 for sound check. We get there at 630. Nobody's there. And they, yeah. You know, we're, they think we're musicians. We're going we're gonna to be there at eight. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Rule number three: make as much fun as pe- make as much fun of people as possible, especially when they're down. And this kept the uh, spirit, you know, because being in a band is like being married to three dudes you can't fuck, or you're not supposed <laughs> to anyway. Right, so it's not the twenty-two hours on stage, and not the twenty. It's not the two hours on stage. It's the twenty-two hours off stage. Yeah, it's all that time in the hotel room in the van, right? And that's you know. So in the van, we would give each other hell constantly. And I was, even though I was the, you know, quote unquote leader, I got just as much shit as they did. And they got just, I gave them much, as much shit, you know. And, you know, and when you really, and when you really fucked up, that's when we, you know, we, you know, make, make sure they knew that we knew that you fucked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's when we had to pass another rule, no chugging Jamesons on stage. Uh we were in New Orleans. We're playing the Howlin' Wolf. Uh, it's just the it's just the three piece. Me with the drummer and Earl Freedom on the bass. I didn't have a second guitar. I broke a string. I ran in the back to go get the string. And apparently, while I'm back there, the drummer says, "We need shots." Because they used to call him Shoddy McShotterson. You know, and, and so Shoddy McShotterson. Uh, they just they brought shots and a bottle of Jameson. He grabbed it and chugged about half of it. Now, I didn't see this. So I come back. I'm running the string. I'm telling the story, blah, blah, blah. And I turn around, and he's like passed out on the drum. <laughs> he's, he's, he's laying on the drum, and, and in, in his little pea drummer brain, he's hitting the snare next to his face. You know, during Elvis, I'm like, what the fuck happened? And then people started going, Shoddy was, ch-. you know, they started chanting that Shoddy McShotterson was chugging Jameson. So, yeah, rule number four, no chugging Jamesons on stage. Can I add something to that? Is that if you sure. if you watch a documentary, and this isn't a spoiler, Wid at some point says that he never drank alcohol or anything before he met you. You know, uh, it's a documentary, and some of it's true. Okay. And some of it's more true than the other parts. Yeah. Um, uh, there was some stuff I wanted to ask you about, uh, about like, when you, when you went to go, when you and, and, and Skid Roper split, you were wanting to have a bigger band, right? Yes. And so what, what was it that you were looking for? like sonically because you did you did have like a perfect thing you didn't have to get like a harem you could have just had the one wife you couldn't fuck right the uh not well part of it was biggest kid roper were very different uh we what we did on the records was good and what we did on stage was good but the rest was not so good and that and part of that's just you know familiarity breeds contempt you know when you're just with people all the time you know everywhere and but the other part of it is, I wanted to sound like the replacements. I wanted to sound like the Beat Farmers or Jason and the Scorchers. I wanted to be able to. I wanted to stand up and rock. I you know I wanted to stand up and rock 
uh, you know, you know, I want to stand up and rock, and I wanted Bruce to be standing in the back, going, "Hey, that shit, that ain't that ain't bad." Or yeah. maybe George Thurgood go, "That motherfucker stole my act." Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, and uh, and so there was it was two things going on there, and um, and, and everybody else had a band. I, you know, being a duo was great. It had, you know, it cut down on the cost. But the costs were way down. We were, that's why we got to open for the Pogues because we, we could set up in front of their monitor mixes. That's why we got to open for NRBQ a million times because they were, they were, NRBQ were old. We thought they were old and they were honorary <laughs> and they wouldn't move their, they wouldn't move their shit. Right. right. But we would set up in front of them and, uh, and it was not a problem. Right. And it all, and just, and we could, we could also, we could play with, uh, in a record store, just the two of us, you know, and we, we didn't have to get five hotel rooms. We didn't have to, you know, have a bus or a giant van. So it it all worked out good. But I, by the time we made, uh, by the by the time we made Root Auger die in Memphis, I was all, I was ready to move on. Yeah. And I and I gave I thought kid I said, look, you know, you can be in the band. You can play drums or bass. You know, he was good at both. I said, I think you'd rather you be bass player and we'll get a drummer that can really fuck it. That's another thing. I wanted a drummer like, you know, Max in Bruce's band. I want somebody who hit the motherfucker. Yeah. Let people know. Let people know something was coming. Yeah. And uh, and, and I got one in with. Yeah. You know, and so and I was thinking about this before we did this. So, so it was me and Skid. And then I did, I think, the first Pleasure Barons. I did the first Pleasure Barons. Uh, and that, and that, that was just, um, it was mainly, uh, Dave Alvin's, uh, band plus a bunch of nuts from San Diego. And then I made Otis, which I had, uh, you know, country Dick and had, uh, uh, Bill Davis and, uh, Jim Dickinson and Jim Spake and John Doe, but I couldn't, you know, that I couldn't use that band. So then I, I got, I had the talking boogers, which was Juke Logan, Gil T and Jerry Angel. And they all played with Dave Allen and with everybody in LA. Okay. And we did like a tour of Europe, but they weren't, they weren't ready to sign on full. They didn't think, but they, they didn't think the Mojo bandwagon was going to be as, you know, make as much money as the Dwight Yoakam bandwagon, so to speak. So, right. 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 But, but then that's how McGill T said, yes, I'm moving to Austin and I'm going to, I'll go down there and I'll find us a band. And he did. He said, there's this band they're kind of like uh, NRBQ Junior. They're really young. They're really great. Uh, you know, the, the uh, you know we'll get the drummer and the piano player. Then their guitar player just quit. This was the Neptunes. Yeah. And so it, it worked out great. It worked out great. I didn't. Also, I didn't want to have two guitars. I wanted to either have a, a guitar and piano or guitar and saxophone. So that that was good. And, but uh, so we had this huge tour, you know, we had buses and we had sponsors and everything it was the dead milkman, Mojo and the cave dogs and guilty lasted about six weeks, but he'd never been on a giant tour like this. And there was another six weeks to go. He yeah. quit in the middle of the tour. <laughs> His wife, you know, he had problems at home. He had to go back and solve those problems. So the original bass player, the Senator, uh, well, his real name is escaping me now. Uh, the, the senator and the, the bass player in the Neptunes, he he shows up and just learns the songs in one night, and uh, and, and it went all went great. But then his dad made him go to college. You, you can't waste your life being in Bojo Dixon's band. 
And that's when we got Hoser, Sean Hoser, new guy. Uh, we got him, and he was in the band for a couple of years before we got Earl Freedom. And Earl Freedom was uh, Matt Eske, and he was a drummer in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a couple of bands. And uh, the, uh, the other two guys go, oh, you can learn bass. How hard can it be? <laughs> he shows up at the, well, the first gig we did he showed up he had a piece of duct tape on his bass neck telling him what note was what you know <laughs> on, the, on the low string <laughs> and I and and so and you know he, and he would fuck up it's his first gig he's fucking up and but between songs he was over there kind of like practicing or oh this is how you do it and finally uh, wet dog says you got to get a lot better real fast you know <laughs> we, we're gonna turn you down chief <laughs> oh so and we were doing like his tour opening for dread zeppelin and that was great going good and uh and but somehow his bass was never right in tune and he had you know one of those dan electros that's barely you know barely an yeah, instrument yeah. anyway yeah and but anyway, so, but he didn't know anything about intonation. His bridge was all cockeyed. And the bass player, John, whatever his name was in, 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 uh, in, uh, uh, the, Dread uh, Zeppelin. Uh, Dread Zeppelin. Now my brain's going fried. The bass player, uh, Dread Zeppelin goes, Oh, we got to move your bridge and you'll be, Oh, it's in tune with itself. <laughs> it sounds a lot better. <laughs> But so, but you know, all that, you know, music stuff, singing in key and, you know, three-part harp, you know, that, that's for other people. We were really, we, we wanted to show up, be loud, be fast, and say shit you couldn't believe. That, that, my, that was my goal. My goal was to say something so the guys, I can't believe the motherfucker said that. Yeah. Can you say that? Yeah. Is it legal? Will he be arrested? Yeah. Great. What's wrong? Yeah. What, what, what Richard Pryor did he steal that album from? You know? <laughs> there is like a whole like water cooler aspect to your personality you know, that people talk about as soon as you leave the room or people leave the show. You know what I mean? Right. And, and you know, and I, I wanted Right, so I, I knew I wanted to do something. I didn't quite know how to do it. So part of it is I'm overcompensating with volume and excitement just to, because uh, and I'm wildly overconfident. You know, I shouldn't be this confident, but I am. Right. So, right, so I, I'm just, I'm go, you know, <laughs> other people are, are being calm and, you know, telling nice stories and I'm around. I'm giving the full blast, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. In case you missed it, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there was something I did. I got to, I watched that documentary a couple of times. And in I either, I must have been the second time through. I was fascinated with Great Balls of Fire, uh, the movie. And mostly, like, I was super fascinated with, uh, <laughs> with, with uh with Dennis Quaid's over the top performance, right? So oh, it was it was uh so the original idea I was originally told that they were gonna uh, have Mickey Rourke play uh, Jerry Lee, and it was gonna be based on the Nick Tasha's book, and Terrence Malick was gonna direct. Holy shit! Uh, wow! I, I'm down! I'm down! <laughs> okay, apparently that didn't work out. So. Anyway, I got, you know, I got, I think I got the role because I knew how to play drums. I played drums in high school and I looked like a guy from, you know, I, lo I looked like the guy from the fifties and I had a Southern accent. Yeah. So 
I, and so I'd never been in a movie before. Uh, you know, that's how me and John Doe became friends. There, you know, movie set, there's a lot of sitting around, bullshitting and everything. You know, and I, you know, I, I watched that movie recently. We had it on the cruise, uh, playing on the loop on the, on the, you know, cruise channel. And it's, I, I'm not sure what the hell Jim McBride, the director was thinking. I just, he wanted to make, I guess, kind of a Disney-esque family-friendly version yeah. of Jerry Lee. <laughs> There's no such and, thing. Right, right. Jerry Lee, if you've ever met Jerry Lee, and I've met him and been with him, you know, in a closed room, Jerry Lee, when he turns on that fucking crazy hillbilly shit, it is scary. It is scary. It is scary. Like deliverance scary. Like the motherfucker is going to kill you. He's going to rape you, kill you and not think twice about it. Not even think. Right. Right. So Jerry Lee is dangerous. Right. That's why, and that's why people are attracted to it. So anyway, somehow, you know, Quaid, Quaid had been hot. He had made that movie down in New Orleans. Uh, what, right. what was that? Movie? DOA. Uh, not DOA, no. the one where he was the detective down in New Orleans. Big Easy. Big Easy, yeah. Right. And so yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was hot. McBride had made that movie. It was going to be, you know, they, they everybody thought that we were going to make a lot of money. You know, and we got, you know, there's Jerry Lee Lewis, and we got him signed off. But, you know, Quaid, <laughs> Quaid uh, was, did a whole bunch of blow, thinking that would make, help him find the essence of Jerry Lee. <laughs> But what he found was like like goofy or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, right. It's it's not dangerous. It's 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 odd and crazy and weird, and um, but you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about you know how movies are made, and you know, I I was everybody, uh, you know, everybody ahead of me on the call sheet had a bunch of lines, and you know, or you know, the, uh, and they made a bunch of money. I was like the I was like number thirteen. I had two lines in the whole movie. We worked on that thing for three and a half months. Yeah, I was used to talking for two hours every night. Yeah, <laughs> I was losing my fucking mind. <laughs> we were uh, staying at a hotel next to the Peabody right there in Memphis on Beale next to Beale Street. Me, me and John Doe and Jimmy Vaughn and Trey Wilson and Steve Dobolowski went out drinking every night because we had nothing to do. Yeah. You know, in fact, this guy at the bar, he was confusing Jimmy Vaughn with Stevie Ray. Yeah. And he was calling him Eddie Ray Dog. <laughs> we got world famous guitar player, Eddie Ray Dog, coming up here. Eddie Ray Dog, get your ass up here and play the, play the guitar. So he was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they, oh, the other thing is, oh, they stopped charges. They didn't charge us to come in, they didn't charge us for drinks. Oh, bring those movies. Those guys are in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Right. If they, right. So we, Quaid never came. He was never there. <laughs> we were always there. Right. Right. They gave you, it was unbelievable. So this is what, 89 maybe. I think we got $50 a day just walking around month. Wow. So that's, you get three, you get, this is in 89. Everything's paid for and they're giving you 350 bucks. It was hard for me to spend all that money. It, you know, that's 350 bucks a week, every week. Yeah, you know, man, I you know, yes, I, I took a couple of trips down to a part of town where I thought I might die to try to get rid of my money. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when I when I talked to John about that movie, there was there was something that always stood out to me was just the exhausted look on his face, and I was like, man, I just always thought like, what a great actor because hanging out with 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 Jerry Lee Lewis 
would have really been exhausting like that. And he's like, oh no, I wasn't acting. He said the same thing that Dennis had was just had taken on this weird fucking personality that was just annoying as shit all the time. Yes. And, you know, John had been, and so, you know, we're sitting there in our little trailers, you know, and uh, I know shit about John Doe that X team don't know. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. Because you run out of things to talk about. You run it, you know, right. Remember that time? Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So now in the movie, it was very odd. It was, uh, you know, but uh, we had a, we had a premiere in San Diego. And uh, all the money went to some charity, and there was a dunk tank outside, and you were supposed to knock Mojo into the dunk tank. And I had this cockamamie idea. See, I always have these cockamamie ideas to mojify it. And so instead of being <laughs> dumped in, into uh, water, I was going to be uh, dunked into Jello. Oh, so nice. both of them, my manager tried to tried to make, he tried to make Jello out of the water. Well, you know, it's whatever. It's fifty gallons or something, <laughs> and you got to put ice in it. So the water. The water was 33 degrees. Every, every time I hit it, my heart almost stopped. And it was tons of sugar. I was, I was covered head to toe with green slime that was 33 degrees. This is me being a little too smart. Yeah. Should have just been some tepid water. You know, that would have been fine. Um, yeah, I, uh, but yeah, great balls of fire. Uh, you know, and I, I just remember we, you know, you spent a lot, you know, in any movie, you spend a lot of time working on it and you just never know, you know, like when I'm making a record, I know what's good and what's not, right. or I think I do anyway, but in a movie, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Even if you're, even if you're the director or the star yeah. in, you know, and so, yeah, it didn't come out exactly the way I thought it would. Yeah. You know, and I'm not right. And I just, uh, you know, I remember I complained once, uh, well, you know, T-Bone, T-Bone Burnett was like supposed to be the music director. He got fired at some point. Oh. And so they had us playing along with this track that was a little chopped up. And I, I told the director, I said, you know, we're having trouble pantomiming here because, you know, th- this thing is not edited correctly. He, and he goes, if anybody's paying attention to you at that point, it doesn't matter. I failed as a director. Jesus. I go, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood, okay. Mojo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And I, well, I saw it. Really, there's a montage. Yeah. And right. So there's a montage where only where you show us live every fifth frame or something. Right. You know. So there's all this other stuff going on. Right. But the, right. The movie had much bigger problems than that. In yeah. fact, I was asking John Doe about this. Uh, you know, when we were on the cruise and. Uh, he, and he said that, I said, you know, what was McBride thinking? And he said, McBride would always say something like, uh, quicker, faster, quicker, faster. And then him and, you know, uh, him and Winona would eventually go, okay, yeah, we got it and do the exact same thing. And then McBride would like it, you know, so they would pretend to do it quicker and faster <laughs> and, uh, or, you know, and like a lot, a lot of that, you know, right. People want to, People want to add their input or people want to say, you know, they did it my way. Right. right, they, did, right. Yeah. right. they did the exact same thing. You know, you know what you, you did end up with like a, a great video story from being with my known on that thing. And also you ended up with a great bass player for your next record. For yes. Ogre. And, uh, 
Yes, and, and I got Winona to be in the Debbie Gibson's pregnant with my two-headed yeah. love child video, which MTV wouldn't show. You know, that show, that, see, I still got it. <laughs> MTV wouldn't show my video. I had Winona Ryder in the video. They they wouldn't, apparently, making fun of uh, Debbie Gibson, Tiffany, uh, Spuds McKenzie, and... Uh, and Rick, Rick Ashley, Ashley. Yeah. yeah, that was a that was a bridge too far. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, definitely, like it's almost better. It's I don't know what's equal. They're equally uh, getting banned, or especially when they had a news segment about it. That was right, the that was the part, part about that it. Made me, right, so right, Kurt Loder did a little making of thing. They did a little making of the video, you know, that they ran, and then when the video came out, they wouldn't play it. But look. Yeah. Uh, I always say this, you get in the bed with the devil. You shouldn't be surprised when you get fucked in the ass. Yeah. You know, so, right. So, you know, and me and MTV had a relationship. I did those promo spots. I did a bunch of live things for them because they needed somebody who, who didn't need a script. Right. All the original VJs had cue cards and they were reading off of them. Yeah. So if they were, if they were live at, you know, in Daytona, uh, you know, I would just make shit up, you know. That's why I was trying to get off the air by saying, I got a boner in Daytona. <laughs> Mojo Nixon, spring break, MTV. I got a boner in Daytona. Thinking that it, I had a toothache. I was thinking they'd take me off. We love it. Love it. Keep, keep doing that. Do that boner shit, Mojo. <laughs> it's so weird that you were on spring break, MTV, because it's like – Back then, there was such a such a line between like us and them. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, oh no, and I, you know, I did Super Bowl, I did Spring Break, I did Mardi Gras, I did you know a couple other things, uh, mainly because they just needed somebody you could just point the camera at and he'll yeah. talk for ten. You know, he'll he'll talk for twenty seconds. Yeah. There's no telling what he'll say. Did you ever have? You know, we, were doing, we were talking about acting. You know, I'm in this uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. With Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid is in you know is in a movie with James T. and I was <laughs> and I realized in that movie that I can't act that I can really only just be Mojo. Yeah, uh, I, I remember Bob Hoskins saying, "You're starting at 13. You need to start." <laughs> he, he said, "You need to start at three. He, and he said, "Look, they're never going to. They almost never use the first five shots. Maybe shot." three or four start acting a little bit around five, six, seven. That's the ones they'll probably use. You know, but you know, Dennis Hopper standing right there. I'm fucking starting at 13. <laughs> <laughs> and when Dennis Hopper looks in your eyes and gives you that crazy fucking look, yeah. it was terrifying. Yeah. Right? I wasn't acting. I was afraid of the motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Did you get to spend some time with him? No, yeah, he, you know, he was busy. He, yeah, he, he was busy. But that movie was a big mess too. Imagine that. I, you know, I was involved in things that was a big mess. Yeah. <laughs> well, most movies are a big mess. Um, let me ask you about some writing stuff. Like, do you still write regularly, or did did you write? You mean like like write you know, songs? No, no. Occasionally, I'll you know you have an idea or something, but no, I haven't. Yeah, I made I made like ten albums and wrote like 120 songs. Isn't that enough? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I could make I could write I I could do an album. I could do an album that would be as good as Sacre Blue or even you know one of the albums from the 80s. I could do an album, but it wouldn't be any better. My I you know it would just be a 
you know, another variation of that. It could be a modern, you know, different. I might, uh, I might play or sing slightly different, but not much. And, um, the, um, yeah, I always thought that I would get better. I always thought that I would somehow transform myself and, uh, you know, and be more Westerberg like, but it ain't happening. (laughs) Right. Right. I, I got a small (laughs) talent that I hammer hard, uh, but right, I'm not going to suddenly, uh, you know, write songs that either sound like the Raspberries, you know, or the Replacements, or Cheap Trick, or you know, whatever pop band I, I'm listening to at the time. Yeah. Do you listen to those? What What do you listen to when you listen to music? Now? Well, what I, you know, uh, my three go to are the Clash, yeah. the Pogues, and the Replacements. Yeah. So that you know, and Bruce, and Bruce is in there too. That's you know, that's my three go to. Is four. And, um, the, uh, it's, is, you know, when, if I'm, if I'm feeling bad, I want to hear something to make me feel good. I'll do that. I'll play, you know, I'll play those. Uh, I love the clash. I, I love it. I moved to England and lived in a squad in Brixton with hopes of joining the clash. They were apparently were already full. <laughs> they needed another guy. <laughs> they, they didn't need another guy. They didn't need another, right. They didn't need another Joe Strummer. They already had Joe Strummer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he was amazing, man. Um, Joe Ely did a lot of stuff with those guys. I know, yeah. And, what a mythical... And, and, Go ahead, sorry. Well, that live record, live shots, you know, that's from the tour of them opening for the Clash, I think in Scotland or something. It's unbelievably great, you know. And Joe Ely is the perfect artist, you know, for outlaw country. He's too rock and roll for country, and he's too country for rock and roll. Yeah. You know, he's the Bruce Springsteen of Lubbock, Texas. He's I love Joe. He's he's fan fucking fantastic. Me too, man. He's a real he's a real fucking amazing artist. Um, before we, uh, you got into radio early, like terrestrial radio, like on the radio in Cincinnati on a radio station before. Yeah, I was on. I did a little stuff in San Diego. This is in ninety seven, ninety in the late nineties. But part of the problem was when I was trying to make a transition to radio. Everybody in San Diego believed the Mojo myth. They believed that I lived in a van down by the river and lived, <laughs> lived off, you know, snorting speed and drinking Mad Dog 2020. Now, there was a little truth to that, but not all. So, right, they were afraid to hire me. So I did a couple of things, but none of it really worked out, you know, you know, on, you know oddball things on oddball stations. So then I got a job in Cincinnati doing radio and, uh, and, and that was like four, that was 98 to, uh, 2002. And I kind of learned how, what, how to do it, how to translate what it is I do onto the radio. And then they sent me to back to San Diego to work at the classic rock station, which was bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was an afternoon drive on the classic rock station. And every time I played journey or sticks, a small piece of my soul was chipped away. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I would play Credence or Jimi Hendrix instead. And, um, but it turned out that turned out they were paying attention. Yeah. You know, the machine, the, the Borg, you know, would, would spew out. He hasn't played sticks in two weeks, you know, there's some bucket thing. Then I got, uh, my buddy, Jeremy Tepper said, I've got, I've been hired by little Steven to run it from Bruce's band to run this channel on serious outlaw country. And I think you'd be good, you know, and it took a while. I remember the, I, I, uh, you know, I, I had to, I could either re up with clear channel on the classic rock station or sign with Sirius. And I remember asking little Steven, I said, 
can I say Rascal Flats sucks donkey dicks in hell? And he goes, well, it is in context. You know, so yeah, <laughs> I, I was desperate to say bullshit and motherfucker on the radio. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, and so, yes, work, getting the job at Sirius where uh, I can play what I want. I can say what I want. I have little to no supervision. It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. It's really amazing that I, right, because I wouldn't be good in the cubicle. If I was in the cubicle next to, you know, I'd be an HR problem. I'd be in jail is what I'd be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you do you do every afternoon, weekdays, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, I do uh, record it in the morning, plays right. in the afternoon. Uh, you know, I can change. I only change one or two songs per show. Me and Tepper, the boss, Jeremy Tepper, the rig rocker, We've known each other since the first shows I played in New York back in the early, in the mid eighties. Mm -hmm. He was, he was friends with uh, Roscoe, Eric Roscoe Amble, who uh, used to let us sleep on his floor. Oh, yeah. Roscoe was in the Dell Lord. Yeah. And um, so me and Tepper have been friends a long time and it just all worked out. We have complimentary talents. Uh, you know, he's good at organizing. I'm good at the bullshit. And uh, it's, you know, it's worked out really good. So it's been, what is it now? 19 years, I think. Wow. 19, uh, on, yeah, 19 years uh, coming this fall on uh, Sirius XM. So I, I have Outlaw Country where we play Hillbilly Rock and Roll with Bad Attitude. You know, and every 10 years, somebody thinks they invent country rock. Right. So we yeah, just yeah. play them all. Right. So, every, you know, everybody, you know, I, you know, who invented country rock? Well, there's about 20 people who did, yeah. you know, between between 65 and 70. Yeah. And, you know, and Doug Som would be one of, would be one of them. Definitely. And Grant Parsons would be one of them. And Bob Dylan and the band would be another, you know, yeah. there's a whole, you know, Ricky Nelson, there's a whole bunch of them. And, uh, you know, we had the same idea, right? So once you took so much acid, you're about to lose your mind. Maybe we'll go back to the records our, you know, our parents used to listen to, but we'll rock them up a little bit. Yeah. So that's what we play on Outlaw Country. And on Monday nights, I have a NASCAR show. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, because I'm a hillbilly from Danville, Virginia, and I love NASCAR. And uh, I, in fact, I, you know, I, I might have a problem. I might have a I'm a NASCAR holic. So I have a. Sh I'm going to talk about NASCAR anyway. Now I get paid to do it. That's awesome. I've been doing that for like 15 years, and that show is called Manifold Destiny or <laughs> Destiny, and it's you know. It's it's kind of a you know crazy sports talk from the fans' point of view. I'm not a I'm not an expert on anything, but I'm a guy with a lot of opinions. And I used to have a political talk show yeah. that was mainly on raw dog comedy called Lion Cocksuckers. That show was so good they're paying me not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I read about that. And I was like, holy shit! So it's not on anymore. No, it hasn't been on. Since Trump got elected, <laughs> I said, I said, uh, it, it was off and then it was back on, but I said, come on, you gotta let me be on when Trump is running. And I said, uh, on the run up to the election, I said, first off, we'll, we'll never have a president pussy grabber. I said, there's no chance that's ever going to happen. And then I said, if Trump gets elected, I'll suck his dick live on TV. And damn, this motherfucker didn't get uh, yeah, so that was right. So uh, I was trying to, you know, show. I, I don't think yeah. he'll be elected. Right. Yeah. What I didn't realize, I didn't realize how much people hated Hillary. Yeah. Right. So people, people got off. Conservatives got off their deathbed 
and took their oxygen tank to the voting booth to vote against Hillary. Yeah. But that also worked against Trump and, uh, you know, in, in 2000, people, people weren't voting for Biden. They were voting against Trump. Yeah. Right. So they, right. So, uh, you know, anyway, yeah. So, and they hired well, originally. So back in, you know, 2002 or 2000, uh, 2006, let's say, they were just looking for bodies to fill up, you know, time slots on, on serious. Yeah. Now they got, you know, big stars and big, but the guy said to me, he says, look, I can't find a show for Craig Ferguson. You're shit out of luck. Hey, he uh, says, he says and, and I go, he goes, I, uh, I go, but it's in my contract. He goes, nobody gives a shit. Right. You know, nobody cares. So anyway, I'm being paid not to do like I said shit on. I should be in jail. <laughs> I said shit on like cocksuckers just to see if anybody was listening. It was a one hour show. I would I would rant. I would rant for 15 minutes. I would play either songs or comedy bits that uh, you know tied in with it, and then I would uh, you know take calls. And uh, it, the show was crazy. I mean, it was really crazy. Uh, yes, if, uh, you know, if, if somebody was to go back and listen to those shows, I could be run out of town on a rail. I could be tarred and feathered. <laughs> well, I'm glad you haven't been. Yes. Good. Yes. I yeah. can't, I can't believe I'm still alive. I <laughs> promised my wife I'd be dead 15 years ago. How long have you been married? Only like 80 or 90 years. And, you know, it only seems longer. Is this the same yeah, lady we, from the from the from the go kart yeah, wedding? Yeah, uh, from the go kart wedding. Yes. Oh wow! Yeah, we're our, our oldest son is like forty. Yeah, so it's been going on. Wow! A while. Congratulations, man. Yeah, well, they're all, I call it the her official name is the Long Suffering Bride of Mojo. Because <laughs> right, it ain't easy being married to Mojo. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, dude, this has been great talking to you. And people can get out there and find uh, Mojo Nicks, uh the Mojo Manifesto. The Life and Times of Mojo Nixon out there, uh, wherever it is you, you download or rent movies like Amazon, uh, Apple Plus, iTunes, Google Movies. Is, there, is that a thing? Yeah, it's all a thing. Most places where you rent movies, you can find it, but you can definitely get it at Amazon and Apple TV or Apple iTunes. And uh, right, you can rent it for five bucks. Uh, it's shockingly good. It some is, of it's true. It it's, it's, it's shockingly good. It is, some of it's true, and it's and right. I told him. I said, "Look, it should be uh, it should be short. It should be funny, and you should make the you know the super fans happy. Don't try to make civilians like Mojo. The people, the the drunk, crazy super fan who was right down front at the show. He when he or she watches it and goes, "Holy shit, man! I was there!" Right. That's yeah. that, that's what we were trying to do. Dude, the the guy, the fan that they interviewed, like throughout the whole thing, I can't remember his name. Yes, that Jason. Jason, yes. that guy, he's he is like that guy's the greatest fan of all time of yours. That guy showed up on the cruise, the last cruise, with a copy of my old jean jacket that I, as you see me wear, known as the vomit jacket. <laughs> The vomit jacket had, had like a Elvis patch and a NASCAR patch and a Bigfoot and it had a bunch of stuff on it. And uh, anyway, he showed up with a, a replica of it, and um, the uh, and, and you know and, and he showed he showed up on the cruise. And I had to tell him the story 
when we made Great Balls of Fire, we went to England. We stayed in the same hotel where Jerry Lynch stayed in 58. The Mayfair is like the old, you know, fancy hotel. And they had a little bar off to the side. And me and John Doe and, uh, and maybe Jeffrey Lee Pierce were sitting in there. And the guy goes, sir, that jacket stinks. You have to take it off. Uh, we, we got some other jackets for you. Yeah, I had to take the vomit jacket off of the Mayfair Hotel uh, uh, bar. Because it stuck so bad. <laughs> anyway, so J- Jason, the super fan, made a replica of the uh, vomit jacket and wore it all around the whole time on the cruise. That's awesome. Hopefully, without the smell. Yes, yes. No, yeah. it was. It smelled good. Hey, okay. man, thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, man, I really appreciate it. It's good to see you, and uh, and I want to thank Matt for for hooking this up. I'm really glad I got to talk to you. All right, yeah, see man. you, Johnny. Cheers, buddy. Gang, that was Mojo Nixon. Check out his documentary, The Mojo Manifesto, The Life and Times of Mojo Nixon, available wherever it is that you, uh, that you rent movies, Amazon, Apple, Apple TV+, um, iTunes, wherever it is you do it. Also, if you have Sirius XM and you want to listen to some Mojo talking, you can listen to The Loon in the Afternoon weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Outlaw Radio. All right. I want to thank Matt Eske for setting this up. He did a great job with that documentary. Amazing, doc, amazing documentary. It's his first one he ever made, and it's fucking great. So congratulations. Thank you to Mojo for taking the time to talk to me. He's a really nice guy. We emailed a little bit afterwards, and he was kind of nice. All right? So <laughs> I hope you guys all have a good weekend, whatever it is you're doing. Go out there and check out that documentary. Mojo Nixon. You love him, baby. I love him. All right. Have a great weekend, whatever it is you're doing. Let's get down. Cause you ain't